Thank you for tuning into Destiny House Church as we seek to draw closer to Jesus. We're so glad you've joined us today. Please enjoy this message by Pastor Court or one of the other anointed speakers as we pursue the Father's heart.
that are rampant, not only in this area, God, but in this world. We're seeing more and more dominance of, of this, this principality of, of lust and sexual sin. And so if you guys can pray with me right now, let's get our kids covered in the blood and protected so that our parenting is a whole lot easier. Because when, when Jesus is in charge of your household, things go a whole lot better than when the mom or the dad are in charge of the household. When Jesus rules and reigns in every room and every secret place of the Christian home, guess what? We have got power and authority and we've got a blood anointing on us. And Father, we thank you today for our children. Protect them. They don't have to indulge. They don't have to do anything to learn something. All they need to learn is your presence and the person of you. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Will you find somebody to greet this morning? Hug on. Give them a kiss if it's appropriate. Good to see all you guys. 
most of you I know, some of you I don't. Welcome if you're new, uh, welcome. Um, and there's a visitor card and a chair in front of you if you fill that out and uh, hand that in. Just give it to somebody. I don't care who it is. Just give the visitor card to somebody and they will get it to me and then I will text you at like 2 a.m. for fun. <laughs> and uh, so let's get right into this this morning. I've said that three times and I still haven't gotten into it, have I? So I want to talk about uh, this morning, um, I want to talk about a wall, I want to talk about a report, and I want to talk about opposition this morning. Um, first of all, before we get to Nehemiah chapter 6, which is where we're going to be uh, most of these next 20 minutes, 30 minutes, or hour and a half, I don't know yet. Y'all have multiple choice for you today. Um, <laughs> whatever the Lord chooses. If you need to go for potty break, that's okay. I know I've noticed some of you have small bladders. If you're if you work in the clinical field, we've got some nurses and social workers. Uh, you have very large bladders because you don't use the restroom all day long, and so you can hold it through one of my sermons. Some of you are like little baby girls. And you can't hold it. And we would just rather not clean the seats again this year. Right? I'm going to jump right into it this morning. Praise God. So, you know, the biggest question when we talk about um, why Nehemiah felt so called and so compelled to build a wall, we have to understand um, very quickly the... The context, you know, after the Babylonian captivity, uh, many of the Jews ended up going back to Jerusalem. And under the leadership of Zerubbabel and Ezra, um, these exiles returned and they returned to a Jerusalem that did not look the way that it used to. The walls and the security, many of the, uh, just the artifacts, well, they weren't artifacts back then, but many of the buildings and everything had been torn down through the issues of war. And so there was a lack of fortified walls. And so I want y'all to really catch this morning um, the, the deep spiritual emphasis of what I believe the Lord wants to reveal to us today, just through this brief teaching that at this point the, the remnant of Jerusalem and its people were, were shamed. They were in a, a place of pain, a place of, of hardship, a, pay, a place of, of loss. And when they returned to their homeland, the conditions were unsafe. Um, and we see in Nehemiah 2.17 that Nehemiah told the Jewish leaders, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. So this, this building project was more so not about the physical security of Jerusalem, but it was about building up their, the promise that God had given them, building up 
the, the internal parts that they were lacking. These people were down. They were depressed. They were fearful. They were anxious. And by getting a group of people together for one common good to build this wall for the kingdom of God is what brought them all together in unity. How many of you know that building something that's been torn down by the enemy is an amazing advancement to the kingdom of God. Say amen if you understand that. If you don't understand, you know, just, just stay quiet. Um, so so we, look, we, look at, we look at this. We look at Nehemiah. We look at the, the anointing on his life. And, you know, we ask the question, why was it important to rebuild Jerusalem's wall? Well, I just answer that. But, but some of it more has to do with with what's said here in Nehemiah 1.3. He said that those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace again. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Very similar to what we just read a minute ago in 2.17. So I want to jump into Nehemiah chapter 6 this morning, starting in verse 1. I want to read this uh, passage um, uh, in its entirety through verse um, 19, I believe, is where I'll probably stop. And, and then I want to just go over some thoughts this morning of what I believe God wants to teach us from that. Uh, say amen if you're awake. Amen. All right. So in verse 1 of Nehemiah chapter 6, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem of our other enemies learned that I had completely rebuilt the wall. All I lacked was hanging the doors and the gates. Then Sanballat and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet with them in one of the village of the Ono Valley. I knew they were planning to harm me in some way. So I sent messengers to them. My work is too important to stop now and go there. I can't afford to slow down the work just to visit with you. They invited me four times, but each time I refused to go. Finally, Sambalot sent an official to me with an, with an unsealed letter which said, A rumor, or most of your Bibles would say a report, is going around among the nations that you and the other Jews are rebuilding the wall and planning to rebel because you want to be their king. And Jeshem says it's true as well. Verse 7. Um, you even have prophets in Jerusalem claiming you are now the king of Judah. You know the Persian king will hear about this, so let's get together and talk it over. Verse 8. I sent a message back to Sanballat saying, none of this is true. You are making it all up. This is a lie. Our enemies were trying to frighten us and keep us from our work. But I asked God to give me strength. And one day I went to visit Shemaiah. He wasn't supposed to leave his house. But he said, let's hurry to the holy place of the temple and hide there. And we will lock the temple doors because your enemies are planning to kill you tonight. Verse 11. I answered, why should someone like me have to run and hide in the temple to save my life? I won't go. And suddenly I realized that God had not given Shemaiah this message. But Tobiah and Sambalot had paid him to trick me. 
and to frighten me into doing something wrong because they wanted to ruin my good name. And in verse 14, that I asked God to punish Tobiah and Sanballat for what they had done. I prayed that God would punish the prophet Nordiah and the other prophets who, together with her, had tried to frighten and scare me. And in verse 15, we see that the work is finished. On the 25th day of the month of Elul, the wall was completely rebuilt. It had taken 52 days. When our enemies and the surrounding nations learned that the work was finished, they felt helpless because they knew that our God had helped us rebuild the wall. And finally in verse 17 to 19. All this time the Jewish leaders and Tobiah had been writing letters back and forth. Many people in uh, Judah were loyal to Tobiah for two reasons. Shekinah, the son of Arah, was his father-in-law. And Tobiah's son, Johanahan, had married the daughter of I've been doing good with some of these names, but these last three we're going to just skip. All right? In verse 19, the people would always tell me about the good things Tobiah had done. And then they would tell Tobiah everything that I had said. So Tobiah kept sending letters trying to frighten me. Now, there's a lot, of, a lot to unpack here, but I want to just talk about uh, five or six different things. First of all, the enemy will always use critics in your life to plot and scheme against you in order to stop the will of God from being done. Did you hear me? The enemy will always use people in your life, oppressed people, oppressed demonic people to take you away. So that you do not fulfill what God has called you to do. This is the plan. This is exactly what the enemy wants. He wants you to know, hey, I know that you have a wall to build that God told you to build. God unctioned you. He sent you. See, here, here's, the, here's what we don't understand about the enemy and, or that we forget. is The enemy understands the will of God for your life. Because the enemy knew the will of God. We don't know how many years, probably a very long time, before he decided to try to plot against the father of lights. And he failed. And he continues to fail. But in the areas that he does succeed in lives are the areas of people in our, maybe here, maybe listening on Spotify, maybe in, in this area, in this county. Uh, he is winning in the hearts of those who are ignoring the deity of Jesus Christ. That's his goal, is to steal away any possible hope that a person has for a real, true eternity with Father God. And he wants that for you. He's plotting against you. He's scheming against you. He's using people to try to destroy your name in order for you to get your eyes off of what God wants to do. This is the goal of the enemy. He wants you sucked into this worldly life. He wants you worried about the bills. 
He wants you worried about your spouse. He wants you worried about your kid. He doesn't want you to put your spouse and your kids and your family and, and everybody else on the altar of God. He wants you to stay in those seats right there away, safely away from this uncomfortable area that we call the altar of God. That's what the enemy wants. And for some of you, each and every day, you are falling for the lie that it's too late for you or that you have gone too far, that you can't fulfill what God has called you to do. But I want you to know today it is not too late for you. It is not over for you. Your, your years have not been dispensed. How do I know that? I've said it a million times. How do I know? You're sitting here and you're looking at me and you're listening and you're breathing right now. That's how I know you still have time to do the will of God. Stop dragging your feet and making excuses and do what God has called you to do. When I get a little bit older, I'm going to have an oxygen tank right here in the pulpit. Your boards start planning that. They're not cheap. <laughs> Nehemiah said, my work is too important to stop now and go there and talk with you. I can't afford to slow down the work just to visit with you. Isn't it amazing how much more time we give to our critics than we do to our own family? You know... It's okay to be silent and not have conversations with everyone. I want to give you all a little freedom here. Because some of you think that you've got to address every single thing that is said about you. Some of you think that you've got to go and fight against everything that's been said about you. And you've got to stand on the street corner and you've got to prove your point. Well, the minute that you start trying to prove your point, you have now stepped out of what God has called you to do. He hasn't asked you to prove your point. He has asked you to prove his. And in trying to prove your point and then slapping the bumper sticker on it and saying, hey, this is what God has called me to do. That just because you say that doesn't mean that God is involved in you trying to make yourself known and defend yourself all the time. Sometimes you just got to stop meeting with the critics. How do you do that? You get busy meeting with the people that love you that care about you, that want the will of God flowing freely in your life, and you stop sitting around at a table having the rumor mill talk, having the critic talk, having this kind of talk and that kind of talk that leads nowhere other than hell. I mean, it really is that serious for us to speak at the right time and shut up at the right time. It really is that serious for us to meet and have divine appointments with people, but also say, no, I'm not going to be there for that. I'm not going to make that. I'm over here doing what God has called me to do. God does not want me to come down from this mountain of doing what he's called me to do to come and visit with a certain situation that is based out of an offense or a critique. God will have me come down and God will have you come down from doing what you're called to do to do more of what you're called to do, which is leading people to the kingdom of God. 
How many fruitless things do we do during a week? How many things do we do during the week and we've convinced ourselves that God put us in that situation? Oh man, God blessed me with this. Did he? Did he really? Oh, pastor, I got a new job. I'll never be in church again, but God blessed me with a new job. Oh, well, that sounds like the God that I serve. Hey, pastor, guess what? God, God, you know, he put me in this situation with this person and, and it's, the, it's, the, it's the will of God. I'm so blessed. One week later, hey, pastor, I just decided it's not the will of God anymore. I was wrong. It wasn't the will of God in the beginning. But this new girl is the will of God. <laughs> Woo! Y'all know where the term woman came from, right? Adam was standing on the other side of the garden. He said, whoa, man, when he saw Eve. You're welcome. Some of you, that was a really delayed reaction from some of you. Y'all need to get your cheese ball, you know, dad joke um, book out and use it. Amen. The enemy uses the term report. If you notice, when the enemy is coming against you, he tries to involve a crowd of people that don't exist. You know there's a report about you, that you're building a wall, and that you are going to rebel because you want to become a king. Nehemiah had absolutely no inclination of being a king at all. You know what Nehemiah wanted to do? He wanted people to know Father God. Anytime your priority in your life is for your family and your friends and everybody else in your life to know the heart of Jesus, you're instantly going to lose people in your life. Instantly, if you are committed to the cause of Christ, you are going to have more of a or a less of a personal life. Now, some of you don't agree with that because you're middle of the road Christianity. When you're middle of the road Christianity, you can sit around and you can talk trash with other people and in this group. And then on, on Tuesday night and then on Thursday night, you can go sit around in your Bible study and you have no conviction about it. Well, I, I want to just tell you something right there. Without conviction, can you actually call yourself a child of God? Come on, I feel like losing some friends today. I feel like this is the, this is the anointing I'm in today. Is hey, then, uh, woo, less counseling to do because nobody wants to talk to Pastor Court anymore because every time we talk to him, he tells us scriptural stuff. We don't want scriptural stuff. We want to be patted on the backs and be, and be thanked and given gratitude and platitudes and all those twos. It's not a word, but I just made it up. The enemy uses that term. Anybody ever said that? Well, hey, you know, pastor, I've been talking to other people and you know what they're saying? I don't care what they're saying. Because right when you started with a sentence, I've been talking to other people. I already know that the rest of what you have to say is not holy. The rest of what you have to say does not fall in line with what God has called me to do and to listen to. 
It's amazing how as we grow and we mature, we understand what to take in more as a Christian and what to tune out. Who to take in, who to tune out. What preachers to take in, what preachers to get rid of. What family member, you know, why is it, and I've given this example before, why is it okay on Thanksgiving and Christmas that uncle so-and-so or aunt so-and-so comes to the Thanksgiving or Christmas gathering and they're allowed to just act like a fool in front of your kids, but the rest of the year you're like, ooh, I'm not going to have people like that around my kids. But on Christmas... Uncle Tommy can be drunk and throwing darts at your child, and you're okay with it. Oh, it's Uncle Tommy. It's no problem. Oh, Uncle Tommy. He's so cute and fluffy, and he makes a great Santa Claus. Isn't it dumb what we do? The things that we tolerate. The things that we put up with. And what we do as Christians is we we tolerate and we have low boundaries and we don't have things in the right order. We've got things in the wrong process and we call it grace. It's not what grace is. Jesus did not allow people to abuse him. This is where some of you have the story backwards. Jesus laid down his life for us. Nobody took his life. There's some, a lot of Christian songs out there that I just don't, I can't, I can't back up anymore because they, they talk about Jesus being murdered. Murdered by his own people. Murdered by this, this pact of people, this clan of people. Jesus, the plan was for Jesus was just to lay down his life for us, his children. And that's exactly what he did. I love how in verse 12 it says, Suddenly I realized that God had not given this man this message. It wasn't from God. But these other two men, Tobiah and Sambalot, had paid him to trick me. And to frighten me into doing something wrong because they wanted to ruin my good name. Isn't that just like the enemy that if he can't ruin the process of you building the wall, he will try to tear down your character while you're building the wall. Isn't that amazing? How many, now I'm talking about legitimate failures, just in the last two years we've seen a, a huge outpouring of, of mega churches, you know, less than mega, and then large churches just completely be taken off the map in the last two years. Why? Because when immorality starts at the head of the church, it's just like water at the top of the mountain. No matter how, how terrible the cliffs are, or how jagged they are, or how sealed off that mountain looks, that water from the top will always make itself, always make it to the very bottom. Always. Because everything from the head trickles down. And if you are following a person, get ready for a fall. 
If you're following a human being, you are going to be downright sad. Because nobody can meet the standard that Jesus can meet. That he already has. And so the enemy wants to come in like a flood and he wants to destroy your good name. He wants to destroy your character. He wants people to say, oh, do you remember Nehemiah before he was building the wall? Remember, he got himself into some trouble. Do you? And the enemy starts trying to bring up your past. Bring up your issues. Bring up the addictions that you've not been in for months or years. And the enemy wants to bring those things up. And he uses people to bring those things up in order for you, like Nehemiah, for them, his crew, himself, to be frightened. The greatest men of God that we found, that we find in the Bible, had scenarios in their life where they were frightened to almost suicide. Elijah, David, we look at Nehemiah being frightened. Tons of people being at that place where they were fine when their pro the project of God was being attacked. They were strong, they were bold, they kept going. But right when their character was in jeopardy, they began to curl up in a ball. And gets any, anybody in here, you don't have to raise your hand, but anybody in here would say, hey, that's me. I put on a really tough exterior, but when I go home, I really feel about this big. Anybody can be honest with themselves today. When our enemies are surrounding us, I, 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 think, I think about what we see here. That Jeremiah, excuse me, that Nehemiah said, I have finished the entire wall. The only thing that I have left to do is to put the front doors on, essentially. How many of us Christians have that same struggle that we did all of this work, we did all this wall, and we still kept the front door open to the enemy to walk right in? We've got to close off the gates. To the enemy. What areas of your life, short message today, what areas of your life right now do you have the doors open for the enemy to walk through? What areas of your life right now are you tuning into where the enemy is just having a heyday, disturbing your peace, disturbing your joy, disturbing your children? I'll tell you guys a, a story that just happened recently in our home. So you guys know, I mean, you can order these on Amazon, but just a, just a little camera that hooks up to your phone that you put in your child's room and you can move with your phone, you can move the camera. So if, you know, Cooper's over here in this corner, I can move the camera and see, see him. And, and, you know, like if he, like Cooper likes to not sleep in his bed. So we have this secondary bed kind of on the ground, a mattress. So he'll, he'll get off of his bed uh, and sleep there. So we just kind of want to be able to see him and, you know, if he's crying at night or something. If he's crying, you know, we never go in to help him or anything. We just look on the, we just look on the camera and, you know, we're kind of lazy, so we'll push the button and talk. Cooper, it's going to be okay. 
Daddy loves you. I love you enough. I'm not getting out of bed because all you want is something to eat or drink. Or you got a poop, and I don't deal with poops anyways. So that's the kind of camera I'm talking about. Well, one day, Candace and I were both home. Um, I think it was on a Saturday, and Cooper was upstairs taking a nap. Well, he had woken up for a nap, and he was kind of talking and playing. And then we heard another voice. And actually, Candace caught it. I didn't hear it at first, and it happened twice. And uh, we went up there, and we said, Cooper, who were you talking to? We heard another voice up here, and he said he was talking to a man. And we said, okay. We just, you know, first thought is, hey, you're three and a half. You know, you're probably talking to yourself, because he does say things like, you know, Cooper did this or Cooper does. We think it's cute, but it's not healthy as an adult. So if, you, if y'all do that as an adult, you just sound like a selfish rapper. Anyways. Um, all right. Anyways. So so we hear that voice, and, and so Candace is really disturbed, and I'm kind of like, oh, you know, it's probably... And, and so, you know, of course we prayed, and we rebuked, and, and we did all of that. But then Candace has, like, read some articles that these cameras can be easily infiltrated by predators um, that is very easy for a hacker to get through. And so we took, took that camera out. But what, why am I telling you this? Well, it, whether it was that was going, whether it was spiritual or whether it was an actual person, uh, a predator, it didn't matter. There's things that we can do to shut off the valve, right? We don't just keep the camera there and hope for the best, right? We pull the camera out, we unplug it, we throw it away, whatever, um, and we pray. What I'm telling you is you've got to close off these crossroads to the enemy and the natural and the supernatural, right? Well, Pastor, if I have a, if I have a terrible migraine, is it, is it a lack of faith for me to, to take an excedrin migraine? No. You handle things in the natural and the supernatural. Some pastors will tell you that it's a lack of faith for you to take any kind of medication. I'm just not that guy because I don't find that that's how God does things in the Word of God. I see that God uses multiple avenues for us to uh, live in this world, in this fallen world, and make it to the kingdom. Amen? So, in closing, let me say this. In worship team, y'all can, y'all can come up. If y'all notice, we didn't have Crybaby Church today. All right, so don't even start. We're not going there today. All right? I'm glad when we have those times, we we always want to err on the side of never planning um, what we think God is going to do. But we want things to happen the way God wants them to happen each and every service. Some days are like last week. Um, or the week before, some days are like this, um, more of a traditional sense. Um, hopefully there are times when we can go three or four months without any preaching because revival is hit and all people can do is barely make it in the door before they fall down in the presence of God. That's the hope Amen. of what God is going to do. So I, I read this scripture the other day and then I was reminded of it. 
this morning that the Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 16.9 in the New Living. He says, um, there is a wide open door for a great work here, although many oppose me. I want you guys to kind of get that scripture in your heart. Because if you have opposition in your life in regards to being sold out for God, you're living a good life. If people and demons are coming against you because of what you're doing and what you're saying, you are living a godly life. Who cares about the attacks? Isn't it, and I think maybe this is where, when I say church, y'all know I'm not talking about necessarily just Destiny House, although Destiny House is included in what I'm about to say. But I feel in this day and age, Christians seem more afraid of the devil than they do God. God is going to completely obliterate the enemy. Don't you think that you should be more afraid of your Father in Heaven than you are the devil? Because the devil doesn't have anything on you except what you give him. If he has ammunition on you and tries to beat you down, it's because you have given him that ammunition. Are there wounds and scars we have from our past of things? That we didn't, weren't involved. Maybe as a child, of course, the enemy will use those things as well. But primarily, he will use the things against you that you feel regret and shame over. He will hold those things over your head. And so we, as a people, have to remember that, wait a second. My father controls my destiny. My God, my dad controls the outcome of my life as I continue on that narrow path in his son. I wish I had the pictures to give to Jamie, but months ago, you know, where we're from in Houston area, um, off I-10, I-10 interstate right now, um, between Memorial and the gallery and that area of Houston is like 23 lanes now. 23 lanes. There's places in Japan where it's like 30, 30 lanes or something for one roadway coming and going. And I just tell you, I used months ago, I had that picture up of, of I-10 with all these thousands of people sitting in bumper-to-bumper, -bumper, which I used to sit in, and bumper-to-bumper and, and -bumper traffic, you know, taking, you know, three hours to go 28 miles, Right? And, and I had that picture up, and, and that reminds me of what the Word says about the broad road, that, that many travel on that broad road. And then I had another picture up where it was just this serene, narrow little dirt path through a field. And it's narrow, but it's beautiful, and it's pleasant, it's peaceful. That's the road you guys have to be on. You can't be on that broad road and expect God to bless you. If you're on that broad road and you believe God to be blessing you, I would challenge you that that's actually the enemy keeping you 
on that broad road. Pastor, are you trying to scare us? Absolutely I am. Because if you're not serving Jesus, you should be scared. If you're not doing the will of God, you should be scared. If you're centering all your attention on your critics and the reports that are coming out, listen to this, Isaiah 53, 1. Who has believed our report? We believe the report of God. You get a report from the doctor, it's up to you at that very moment what you're going to take in and what you don't. You get a negative report, your, your wife, your spouse, your husband says, hey, I'm leaving you. You can't believe that report. You've got to believe the report of the Lord. Now stand with me. Y'all are so energetic today. I just feel so pumped up right now. You know what? Let's do another 30 minutes just to make you pay the price. No, no. 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 I want you to just close your eyes for a couple of minutes here. Worship team is going to close us out today. I want you guys to have an amazing week. Um, fulfilling what God has called you to do. Father, I ask right now. We've got quite a few visitors here today. We've got some people that I don't know. Got some people that I don't know well. But Father, you know them. You know exactly what they need. You know where they're coming from. You know where they are going. And I pray, Father, that at some point during this time, maybe it's right now, that there is an ounce of you that has penetrated their heart. That maybe they have decided today to stop playing games. That they have decided today that they're going to be committed to Jesus. And they're wondering what that next step is. Well, I want you guys to know biblically, the price has already been paid for you. The sacrifice of Jesus for you to live not only in peace on this earth, but in eternity with God has already been bought and paid for. But here's, here's the part that you're going to have to do. You've got to sincerely commit internally and believe and trust that Jesus is the true Son of God, that He died for you, that He was risen on the third day, that He lives forevermore at the right hand of the Father, that He's coming back soon. If you believe that, then you also have to confess that. The Bible tells us to confess and believe on the name of Jesus, that those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're here today, and this is the most important part of the service, of any service that we have here at Destiny House, is answering this question, do you truly love Jesus? Do you truly want to serve Him? If you find yourself not concerned about your sin, if you're not concerned about lying and cheating and stealing, being drunk, sleeping around, doing drugs, doing all these things that are against God, if you're not concerned about those things and those things are not affecting you, I want to let you know right now that you absolutely do not have a relationship with Jesus. And I know that sounds 
offensive, but it's the truth. If the conviction of the Holy Spirit is not in you today, then it's time for you to set the record straight. You need to come back to God or you need to come to God for the very first time. You need to be what the slang term is, is you need to be saved today, which simply means starting a relationship with Jesus. The Bible tells us there's only one way to the Father that absolutely has to go through the Son. It does not go through our giving. It does not go through water baptism. It does not go through giving to missions. It does not go through church attendance or anything like that. Your salvation can only come from and go through one man, and his name is Jesus. If you're here today and you would say, Pastor Cord, I want to make that commitment. I want to start a real relationship with Jesus today. If you raised your hand last week and you did this, I don't want you to raise your hand again right now. I'm talking to the people that are saying, hey, you know what? I'm serious now. Now, if you raised your hand last week and you didn't mean it, but now you mean it, now is the time to raise your hand. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're here today and you would say, Court, I want to start fresh and new. I want to start my relationship with Jesus today. Will you just lift your hand real quickly for me and you can put it right back down. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else today would say, it's time for me. Thank you. Thank you. I can put your hands down. Thank you. Before I hand this over to the praise team, I, I want us to pray um, during this time of uh, worship. You are, are welcome to stay. You're welcome to be released. Uh, you're also welcome to come to the altar and worship. You can come to the altar and take communion um, if you like. Um, but I want to pray a prayer with you guys. For those of you that raised your hands, for those of you that maybe didn't raise your hands today, but you know that this is you, that you are in this category of needing Jesus fully. I want you to pray this prayer out loud boldly for the other Christians in the room that are already in a great relationship with Jesus. I want you to support them by praying this prayer out loud as well, confirming your faith as well, and supporting them. Can we just pray like this in faith? Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and my Savior, as my friend. I give my life to you fully and completely, neglecting nothing. I give you all of me. Please forgive me of all my sins and set me free in your holy name. Thank you for saving me right now. I am committed to reading your word and speaking to you daily. In Jesus' name, I commit my whole life to you.